0: the book of the Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I want you just to notice this in case I don't get back to this statement here so many people and I will include you as well read statements and reports and these so-called testimonies everybody that sees God is just so happy to see him And here the Bible indicates clearly they are not happy to see him, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged. Every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Here, death, you can understand, hell is a temporary holding place. The permanent holding place in eternity without Christ is the lake of fire, which we're going to read here in verse 14. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and there's no more revival after that. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Simple title to this message, When He Returns. And I, as I say so, so frequently and so often, it is to my mind a small wonder that preachers all over the country and in many places in the world as well will not only be wasting the time of those who listen to them, having spoken and preached or taught superfluous doctrines, but in many cases teaching doctrines that are not only unbiblical, but they're anti-biblical. Such would be the phenomenon of what we've had over the last, oh, at least 30 years, 40. You know, how God wants you rich and wealthy and all of this stuff. And my latest pet peeve is the international evangelist going on selling books about weight loss. And it troubles me and bothers me that some of you may be listening to these people. Let me say it this way, don't listen to a preacher about weight loss. Listen to a preacher that's preaching the Word of God, the way it's written. And there's plenty of good books out there on exercise. I have them in my library. Physiology, Anatomy. I have actually two copies of Gray's, Guyton's Physiology is all in my library. I've read them, I read them, I consult them. But when it comes to the Word of God, it trumps everything else. You know, you could be fat and go to heaven, it's okay. <laughs> You'd be real fit and go to this place mentioned in the book of the Revelation, and that won't be so good. And I can't use the word, but I'll just use the initials BS. There's just an awful lot of BS out there. I even hear people talking in the area of exercise and physiology, and I just say to myself, that's BS. I'm not a scientist i'm not an anatomist i'm not a physiologist but i've been doing it long enough to say this guy's just marketing himself or this woman selling things and on and on but that's the world but when it enters the church which it has it's a sign that we are in need of a great awakening and you know it's as simple as this as i've told you and what would the word be that i want to use the comfort that i get And what I preach to you or to those who watch or listen by way of radio is that I can say to you, look it up in the Bible. It's there. There was a blacksmith one time who back in these days, they would do these type of things. You know, if you wanted something out of iron, wrought iron, you take it to the blacksmith. Beyond the horseshoes, you may want something for the ranch, you know. It's a little fancy. And so the blacksmith had over his shop these words, all types of fancy twistings and turnings done here. And that is, in many places, the modern pulpit. All types of fancy twistings and turnings done here. Hopefully not here, but somewhere. When you can go home and you can read the Bible for yourself. More than that, in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, it states a group of people at a place called Berea that when the Apostle Paul came and spoke the scriptures to him, that would be all Old Testament scriptures at the time, It says that they were more noble than those at Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see if he was telling the truth or if they could find the things that he was speaking about. It's a commendation. Be a Berean. Whatever you hear from this pulpit, be a Berean. Go home and look it up. And I say this to you to remind you what I've told you before. You have access to the same commentaries that I use. I'm not coming to you week by week with a new teaching, something new, some new revelation. Last night God talked to me and told me that, you know, all this stupidity, and if it wasn't just a plain stupidity, I guess that would be bad enough. But the problem is that it's taking people off the right path and being on this one here. Now like I just said, you can go to heaven fat, it's okay, and you can go to hell fit, and that's not okay, but one thing you want to make sure is you're on the right path. And the only way that you can really know, I'm convinced of this anyway, the only way you can really know that today is that you go home and look up the scriptures yourself. Now most times I give you the reference for the scriptures I'm looking up, so you just jot it down, you take notes. I'm telling you to check me out, check out my teachings. But if you're going to listen to television, you're going to listen to radio, then you have an obligation to yourself to check out to see if what you're hearing is the truth. How many times have I told you? I don't know if anybody trusts our media anymore. I don't. And if something interests me and I think it's important, I've got to do research. It could take hours sometimes on one story. Most times I'm not that interested. And they don't have the time. And so it prevents us from saying something that is not true. And in order for us to understand the words of Jesus, what did he actually teach, we need to read it. And then you'll know. If you think about the age in which we live now, Whereas, just 500 years ago, the average Christian and many churches did not even have access to a Bible. Now you can go online, or it used to be Christian bookstores, but now it's mostly online. You can say, this is the kind of leather I want, this is the color I want, they give you the dimensions, this is the size, it's large print, it's small print, pocket Bibles. And why did God do all this? And I can tell you this too, I'm going to just stick this in, many people do it for money. They're selling Bibles for money, but I'll put that aside. The fact of the matter is, God has given his word in this time, in this age, so everybody has access to it so that in the end, there are no excuses. Well, I don't read well. They have the Bible on tape, audio, DVDs, CDs. If you still use a cassette player, I gave a set away, maybe more than one. I think I gave it away twice. The Bible on cassette for someone who told me he was illiterate, he couldn't read. I said, here, entire New Testament. Now you listen to it no more excuses can't read then listen can't listen to read well i would suggest that you take some time to research helen keller's story she couldn't hear she couldn't see she couldn't speak and she did amazing things with her life and to top it all off what was her favorite book helen keller it was the bible this is our light this is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path but the observation to my eyes is that the Christian, the American Christian today seems to be entirely too casual with God. Now I know that many of you watch the news and you know what's going on around you. And I was thinking to myself today and I took a quick glance at the news from just the last week. Sri Lanka, you have tens of thousands of people rushing the headquarters there where the prime minister is and demanding. And why were they demanding that he resign? Because of the price of gas and the shortage of food. Huh. More shootings. Fourth of July, parade Four people indiscriminately killed by some evil individual. Stop saying they're mentally ill. I had this question asked to me, and I try to answer it respectfully, but we need to stop talking about mental illness and talk about evil and sin. Well, if somebody's mentally ill that needs medication. I'll leave that to the psychiatrist. But biblically speaking, every single buddy is going to give a report for the end of their life. Sri Lanka. If you just look at the things that we're not seeing in the news of the earthquakes, the famines, the volcano was mentioned to you, Mount Etna that erupted about two weeks ago now, in Sicily, all around the world there's signs, constant signs, constant signs. A mass shooting in South Africa just took place this week and 14 people were killed. And I want to remind you that America does not lead the world in mass shootings. And you can look that up for yourself as well. I did. We do not lead the world. See, we're not hearing these things. Because there's a great deception going on. And it's inside the church. And it's outside the church. And this word here is the light unto our path. It is the way that we can know that we are on the right path. Because you don't want to leave this earth with an assumption. Well, I think God forgives that. Well, why don't you look in the book and find out what he does forgive and what he doesn't. Well, I began 45 years ago in this book. And with God's help and grace, that's where I'm going to finish. And as Patrick Henry said, as for others, I don't know what they're going to do. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. The ships were off the coast of Virginia when he said it. And what I'm saying to you is that if you're really looking at the news and watching it, the ships of bondage, of an antichrist system, of great tribulation, it's right off our shores, in a metaphoric way of speaking. The news is providing us with the evidence that Christ is coming closer and closer. That's the good news. Meantime, we're going to have to go through this. And we're going to have to go through this together. When he returns, that's what the true Christian that's truly born of the Holy Spirit is living for. It's to meet God face to face. The true Christian born of the Spirit of God has lost all hope in this world because God has cursed it. And we are still under a curse. Now you say Christ came to redeem us from the curse. but that's the blessing for the truly born again. I mentioned to you Wednesday and I'll say it again now. There's many, many blessings that we could count that are given to us, that are in the scriptures, that are right there. But we know that God has not given to us the spirit of fear. Why then do we talk like people? Why then do we make the same statements that other people do who do not know the Lord? The spirit of fear has not been given to you. Jesus said when you see these signs know that your redemption is near even at the door. It's very close That's the hope and always has been of the true Christian We live in this world We must work and eat and do our hygiene and all these things and take part in our elections and what have you and do What we're supposed to do and I mentioned to you just a few moments ago I want to repeat myself now the most powerful teachers union in America has made a statement this week that they are going to be demonstrating and protesting and validating that's the word, you know, it's a psychological term validating those students, could be grade school, whether they're going through transgender identity crisis, boys becoming girls, and all of this stuff. They're going to validate that. But I want to know who gave permission to public school teachers to teach our children morality? Yes. Well, I'll tell you who gave him permission, the church, the pulpits of America. Since the default is right here, and then in the pews and seats as well, we gave him permission. We basically said, we're not going to be teaching our children, so you teach them, and they are. Now, we can come to our senses and say, dear Lord, what have we done? And take the exhortation of the scriptures that says, Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You can take that serious or pay the consequences. Sometimes when I'm talking to young parents, as I said to you just a few moments ago, if you're not teaching your children, somebody is. When we do baby dedications, which we will be doing soon, and the parents come forth, And I think I have to accent this more for the parents, have them read what I'm going to be reading to them and what they're going to be saying, I will. Part of that is that will you seek to lead your child to know the Lord Jesus Christ from an early age? I will, or we will, is the response. Will you guide his or her footsteps to the sanctuary? Church meetings. In an age where professing Christians are saying, I don't need the church. I don't need church meetings. But God said you do. Jesus, it says, went into the synagogue, as was his habit. If anyone didn't need a synagogue, it was Jesus. He is the synagogue. Yes. But he went. Apostle Paul went. Yet we have people who, without realizing it, seemingly are saying, I'm better than Paul and I'm wiser than Jesus. But I don't need it. But we do. Why do we come here on the Lord's Day? I am a Sabbatarian. I do believe that the Lord's Day is still intact, the fourth commandment is still intact, and it's been changed to Sunday, and that's not the topic for today. But why do we do it? Because we are human beings, we have a tendency to forget. And in the way that this world's going, the vortex of its drawing power is going to pull us out in seconds. We come, and for a 24 hour period, we forget our own labors and we forget our own issues with life. And then there's a call that goes out. I send, every week, I send you an email and there's many many more people on that email list than are sitting here right now and I'm going to be going through it real soon so you know what I'm not emailing certain people anymore they never respond they never come and I'll put them in the hands of God doesn't mean I don't love them but me I'm getting older and I'm getting tired of exhorting people who basically almost don't exist do what you want do what you want don't sing don't pray but when you watch the news and it's getting worse and worse and worse, you remember that those people are doing what they're doing by default. Now there's difference between that and a pure rebel who rebels against the word of God and so forth and we have them in life and we have them in the Bible. But at least our hands are clean. I told you the truth. And this is the truth. The book is the truth. And it's pointing right directly at that world that we're living in right now. And basically God is saying to all of us, don't you see it? Well, I for once see it. And I see it clearly. When he returns, that's why we live. For almost all my life, and I understand that this is just an opinion, that's all. It's not a biblical opinion, but I've always been of the opinion that wherever you move, you're going to basically find the same conditions. You say, oh, that's where you're wrong. To here in upstate New York, well, we have long, long winters. Well, I would put it down and see how many weeks we actually have a winter, but forget it. But okay, so we have these really bad winters. So you're going to a warm climate. I understand, not a problem. But let me tell you this: you'll trade off one set of problems for another. When a seven-foot crocodile is at your front door <laughs> knocking, you're going to say that never happened in New York State. That didn't happen over here. Yeah, that's my opinion. It's Just an opinion. That's all. just an opinion. Because the world has fallen and it's fallen everywhere. And then with the pressure of the entire globe put on every nation, this is the time to be looking up and saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, I want to just briefly give you this here. It's something that you have not heard in a long time. But I think it's just good for two reasons. Number one, for us to be connected to our history. Now, we're an independent church. We don't belong to any particular denomination. But one of the problems with that is that we're disconnected from history. And I want to reconnect you. As early as the fourth century, there arose a need as the Bible was now, the New Testament was now written and documents weren't easy to find. It was necessary for the leaders of the church to come together and say, okay, this is a summary of what the church believes. I'd like to read it to you. Some of you, some of us, were taught it in school, and God helped us to have the day and the courage of certain principals of schools and teachers in schools to say, we're going to do this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. And I want to stop there for a moment. Maybe on this broadcast, someone will pick up on that. And I've heard preachers make entire sermons on He didn't descend into hell, going back and forth. To this, I would say, what difference does it make? It's not essential. Except this is essential here, and it's not my place now to explain this Apostles' Creed. But part of the problem in the pulpit is that men are truly making, preachers are truly making mountains from molehills when there's much bigger fish to fry. That's just a little interlude. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. For those of you who learned the Apostles' Creed in the old English, you understand this is modernized. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. I read this some years ago, many years ago in church, and there was a few people that were shocked that I read this. Because they thought Holy Catholic Church meant Roman Catholic Church. And it doesn't. Catholic means universal. Now the Church of Christ is universal. You can skip the labels. I skipped the labels. I watch people. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What preceded the Apostles' Creed was this early, early creed. The Council of Nicaea under the same idea that we needed to codify what the Apostles taught and preached and what is it. I want to read that to you as well. These early creeds were necessary. Nicene and the Apostles' Creed, particularly the Nicene Creed, brings together the major doctrines of the Bible, including the Trinity, which we read in there. And it's these essentials that keep us together. Let me go back to this. um, Every time there's a shooting, it's mental illness that's brought to the forefront. Mental illness should be brought out to the forefront because it's still stigmatized by society. But that being put aside, we need to look at what has happened to our country, to the church as well, around the world, and to realize that things are falling apart because, as I said earlier and I said at length last week, the pulpit has fallen apart. I, I was looking for a friend of mine to see if I could locate him, and I did. And he's on staff at some church. He's partially retired. And so I decided to see what the pastor was all about. And I'm not trying to be critical here, just observant. And I came away with this thought. It seems to me that, and especially younger preachers, if you're not entertaining, people don't want to come. So somehow you have to be entertaining. Here, I'm not here to entertain. Not on the guitar, the drums, a song. Song leaders here to lead you in song, which the Bible talks so much about, giving praise to God. And so it seems to me, just my view, that's all, that if the pulpit is not entertaining, people aren't coming. If we don't truncate the services... cut them back people aren't coming if we can't have casual friday every sunday well, they ain't coming and i'll add if you're not young you're not attracting people i was under the understanding that the bible said preach the word i'll amend it a bit here so it's easier to understand be ready timothy in season out of season preach sound doctrine This is what I understood the Bible to say, and I looked it up, and guess what? It was there. The Bible never ordained for a preacher to be entertaining, though he or she may be entertaining because that's their personality, such as the case with me from time to time. But the idea is to preach the word, to give out in much more exhaustive form these cardinal doctrines of the church. But what people really need to see is that these cardinal doctors not only held the church together, but if you study the history of the church, when it's strong, it held society together. And I say this for the third time. If the pulpit is solid and it's correct, and there's something wrong inside the church, then the fault is no longer on the preacher. Let me show you the important. I just read today in my morning devotion, Psalm 133. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, I appreciate the fact that people are watching from various countries overseas and they're writing to me from all these different countries. And I appreciate that. And that's why we do it. But God didn't ever intend for you to stay home with a cup of latte and some scones and say, oh, I could just do this. I think that COVID taught some people. Well, if you're singing, I can't hear you. And since we don't record the song services, because we'll probably get sued by a Christian company, then you can't hear me sing, or the song leader, or the rest of the people. God designed us to come together and to hear the word of God being taught. And then we go out into the mission field. How do we change the world? That's in a manner of speaking, by telling people you must be born again. If you're a Republican, you must be born again. If you're a Democrat, you must be born again independent conservative libertarian you must be born again that's what jesus taught jesus never said you must be a democrat jesus never said you must be a republican and so on he said you must be born again that's god's way of changing the world in a manner of speaking but we read here in the apostles creed one thought one doctrine that's contained in the verse i read to you He's coming to judge the living and the dead if you had to give a report and you didn't unless you're young and living at home to your parents if you had to give a report on your life yesterday how would it look what would you write down what did you do counting or not discounting the ordinary duties that we have to do i mowed my lawn so that would have to go down on that ledger did you pray did you seek the lord Were you're in the bible Did you share the Lord with somebody? Are you concerned about the welfare of other people so do you pray for them and on and on? This is the main duty of someone who truly has the spirit of God. If you have the spirit of God, you're experiencing a sense of urgency. Things must change first in your life and then in others. And that's why we pray. Drug overdoses are epidemic. Young people. Well, most of them are young people, not exclusively. Go beyond what the media is feeding you and look a little more and look a little deeper. The news is out there and see what's actually going on all over the place. We must be looking for that moment when he returns. Jesus said, if I go away, I will come back. I will come again. So I want to inform you that if that's not your hope today. That's what your hope should be. I was talking last night about the presidential election coming up in two years but I want to let you know I'm not looking for the world to change with a change of administration which I think that's how it's going to be one way or the other I'm looking for Jesus I'm looking for when he returns that's the faith of our fathers and that's the faith of our mothers and that's our history and that's this book and that's the Bible when he returns as we baptize these people that we have here today and they're going to go into the water and we'll explain what that's all about why Jesus talked about baptism he that believes and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned and why did he say that and we'll explain that but that's what we're celebrating we're celebrating a new life not a new year's resolution we're celebrating the fact that we've been given the Gift of eternal life. I got up this morning. This is the truth. I got up this morning with some of the typical aches and pains you have at my age. And when my feet hit the floor, the first thing I said to myself was, I'm going to live forever. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. That's the first thing I said to myself. I'm going to, I mean, I said it out loud. I'm going to live forever, but not in this body. I'm going to be given a new body when he returns. (laughs) And you say, well, will we all be fit? I'm assuming yes. So skip the evangelist books. Tell her to read them. Lord help me. She's so got under my skin with her plastic surgeries, and she's 77 years old, and all this cool stuff. Look, let me tell you something about the pulpit. You don't have to look cool. What I need is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I could be fat. I could be skinny. I could be somewhere in between. What we need is the Holy Spirit of God, the anointing of the Lord. That's what we need. How do people ever get the idea that it's about a shirt? I've told you before, the shirt and tie is just my standard of expressing respect to God. But I've never said that this gives me the anointing. Without the tie, I'm not anointed. But equally true is this. By removing the tie does not mean you're anointed. Oh, you attract the crowd. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need God. We need Christ. When he returns... Jesus will be the final judge. But let me read something to you from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 8. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, once to die. There's no reincarnation in the Bible. But as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. If you've got the verse in front of you, look at it. There's a day appointed on God's calendar. You're going to die. Yeah. I brought that to you just recently a couple of times. I want you to think about it. You say, oh, I'm going to be 95. <laughs> well, possibly. But you know, even if you live to be 95, people who are 95 talk about how fast their life went. Once you're going to die, and God knows what day that is. You don't. So live for Christ. And after you die, this is the judgment. What have you done with your life? We will all face that. Live accordingly. In John chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, listen, these are the words of Jesus, for as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, makes them alive, even so the Son quickens whom he will, makes alive whom he will. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him we must begin to entertain and practice the fact that wherever we go, we are to honor the Son of God. To honor Him. Because on that day, we read it here in Revelation 20, we read it, and I read it to you in the Apostles' Creed and the Creed of Nicaea. He's coming to judge the living and the dead, every single one of us. Now you say, well, we've been judged in Christ, and you're correct, that's right. But we still have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think, in my mind at least, Some people say, well, that's no big deal. At least I'm still making heaven. Well, my thought is this. If God put it in the word, it must be there for a reason. I remember a man who took real issue with me making a statement like that and told me right to my face. He said, I will not be treated as a second-class citizen. I decided not to debate with the man. He attended my church years ago. He's now passed away. I decided not to debate the issue. But in my head, I'll tell you the truth, what I was saying. You are a second-class citizen. He was cavorting with prostitutes. He didn't know I knew a lot about his private life. And believe me, as a pastor, I hear it all. People think I don't know things, and I do. I just don't say all what I know. Some I can't because it's told to me in confidence, and I'll keep that confidence. I know what's going on. I knew what was going on. I refuse to be treated as a second-class citizen. Then act like a first-class citizen. Give God the honor. Give Christ the honor. A Mormon elder came to me. He was the leader of a temple. He used to listen to the radio broadcasts. He came to me one day and he said to me, he said, well, over the weekend, I met another Christian and the same old story, putting him down and all this stuff. And he said this to me. He said, but you're different. And his name was John. I said, well, John, this is the way I figure it. First of all, if I can't convey to you that I love you, I've not earned the right to speak anything to you. Plus, I had the advantage of he listens to the radio broadcast. He already knows what I believe. I didn't feel any necessity, John, to insult you. But if you'd like to discuss biblical doctrine, we can do that. Each case when you meet people is different. But I'm trying to say that I'm trying to live in such a way. Am I 100% successful? I don't think that I am. But I'm trying to live in such a way that I bring honor to God. And I'm not successful all the time. But that's my aim. And that, my dear friend should be your aim. You should be the best you can be. I didn't say the best worker because some people are more talented or whatever are gifted than you, but be the best you could be on your job. Someone has once said that time is a moral issue. Therefore, habitual lateness is immorality. Now that's stretching the point. My dad taught me to be a man of your word. My dad had that old expression he used it all the time, that my word is my bond. I learned that from my father and I have become a man of my word. For better or worse, if I say it, I mean it. The other one was punctuality. Be punctual. Always ready, he says, always be on time. He also tried to convince me to wear conservative shoes. That meant those shoes with the little holes in them. What do you call them? Whatever they're called. Yeah, wingtips, yeah. And I tried to convince him that I wanted a pair of beetle boots. <laughs> you know, the cockroach killers. You know, because they were cool. That's what everybody else was wearing. He refused. Refused. Can you imagine that? My father refused to buy me a pair of Beetle Boots. No wonder I'm all psychologically aberrant. And that's the kind—look at—and I'm being so blunt with you today. That's the kind of stupidity I have to listen to sometimes from younger people. Your father didn't buy a pair of boots, and now you're all screwed up. Maybe you're screwed up because you decided to screw yourself up. Anyway, my father never got me a pair of Beetle Boots. So on the spot, when I was maybe what 12, I told him this. I said, "Okay, but when I'm 18, I wear whatever shoes I want, and I'm going to get Beetle Boots." well guess what I'm wearing conservative shoes because my dad was right I don't mean politically conservative I mean just you know you don't have to be weird to be a Christian now a lot of Christians are simply weird maybe they were born that way I don't know but I've met them if they exist on the planet I've met them and so one step further I'll give you an example of what I'm trying to say here my dad said be a man if you were, so I am not I was I am Number two, he said to wear conservative shoes. That was debatable, but I do. He told me to be punctual, and I am. There are times when it just can't help to be late because things held me up, but not much. And in doing so, I've always hoped to bring honor to my father. I wrote him a letter a few years before he died, expressing my gratitude, I wrote it to my mom as well, it was both to mom and dad, but addressed it to my father, and that I was sorry for the things that I had done as a young person and that I didn't wanna live my life with any regrets. Why? Because I wanna bring, not just to my father, but to my mother as well, to bring honor, not to bring disgrace. You know, when some of these ministers do the things that they do, oh, you know, God's forgiving. Yeah, we all know that, but what you did is you brought disgrace upon all of us, your family, your wife, your children, whatever. This narcissistic business that we got, not only outside, but inside the church too, it's got to end. Jesus said that if you love yourself, You're not worthy of me. I mean, if you love yourself more than me, you're not worthy of me. Self-denial is part of the gospel. In any case, you want to live your life to honor God, honor Christ, so that when he comes, you can say with great anticipation, not like we read here in Revelation 20, they fled from his face. They didn't want to see him. They didn't want to meet him. The atheist who said he didn't exist is going to be surprised when they meet him. The agnostic and all these people. Jesus spoke of this place called hell. And for me, I am totally unashamed to say that's what has kept me in stability for my life. You know, if I thought some of the kind of the gospel I hear from others was actually true, I'd live it. Get myself some, you know, fancy whatever. If I'm not happy with my first wife, get another. If that doesn't work out, get a third, a fourth. Have them all at once. Why not? It's all by grace. And by the way, send me all your money. Because I care about other people and people don't figure this out listen to me the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the beginning of knowledge and all these things that you already know and so somebody said well what is it well picture yourself standing on the very very edge I mean the very edge your toes are just hanging off just a little bit of the Grand Canyon and it's twofold the majesty of this natural sight is awe inspiring at the same time concurrent the knowledge that the slightest breeze could knock you off keeps you conservative. We can appreciate the beauty and majesty of God, but that's not the only thing. But the Bible says, behold, the goodness and the severity of God. Of what can happen when we violate God? And tragically, what's happening every day? Listen to this. I'll give you the references. 2 Peter 3:13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. I love nature. I truly do. And the blight of the things I can see right from this window. What a blight that building is. And it obscures the beauty of all these trees and of nature. I love birds. They start about 4 a.m. I don't care if it's a morning dove, a cardinal, or even a crow. To me, it's just I love the sound of birds. I love nature. I love the sound of the brooks. But then I think that God's going to recreate the earth and create new heavens. Then my hope is revived in this present fallen world. Revelation 21, 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Isaiah 65:17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Wow. Here, we've got a startling statement where God says, you're not even going to be able to remember what the old earth looked like or the heavens. I'm creating a new one. That's future. That's what we're looking for when he returns. Yeah. I have nothing against Elon Musk. I mean, he's always in the news all the time, you know, and he's going to go to Mars. And I don't want to go to Mars. I have no ambition to go to Mars, I'm not going. If I'm invited, I'm not going. If I'm paid, I'm not going. I don't want to go. I'm waiting for new heavens and a new earth. So I have nothing against Elon Musk, I'm just saying, I don't want to go. I've got a rocket ship, I don't want to go. I've got a new rocket ship, I don't want to go. And if I could throw this in at no extra cost, I'm not really interested in an electric car at the moment. When gas is $400 a gallon, then maybe, but not now. Let me finish this message today by saying to you truthfully, that the title of the message came from a song. I brought to you some of these songs in times past, when in 1979, both then and now, but perhaps even more so then, the recording artist Bob Dylan was just right at the top of the charts. I mean, I never was much of a so-called Dylan fan, but after he wrote his first Christian album, when he made a profession of faith to Christ, it is still today my favorite Christian work to listen to. It's deep. It really is. And I don't mean to be entirely caustic to all the other Christian writers out there, but Dylan is deep. Listen to Slow Train Coming. It's prescient. It's prophetic. And so on that album, he has a song entitled When He Returns. I want to read it to you as I finish today. The iron hand, it ain't no match for the iron rod. The strongest wall will crumble and fall to a mighty God. For all those who have eyes and all those who have ears, it is only he who can reduce me to tears. Don't you cry and don't you die and don't you burn. This is Bob Dylan. For like a thief in the night, he'll replace wrong with right when he returns. Truth is an arrow and the gate is narrow that it passes through. He unleashed his power at an unknown hour that no one knew. How long can I listen to the lies of prejudice? How long can I stay drunk on fear? That's a good expression drunk on fear in the wilderness. Can I cast it aside all this loyalty and this pride? Will I ever learn that there'll be no peace, that the war won't cease until he returns. Surrender your crown on this blood-stained ground. Take off your mask. He sees your deeds. He knows your needs even before you ask. How long can you falsify and deny what is real How long can you hate yourself for the weakness you conceal? And this is the capstone of every earthly plan that be known to man. He is unconcerned. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns. That's the truth. Let's go before the Lord today and to coin an expression often used in the streets. What are you looking at? We as human beings were easily distracted from tasks at hand. But as I said earlier, that's why we have, and God instituted the Sabbath, to come and be reminded and to be exhorted, and have to shine, put back on your spirit when he returns. Let's go before the Lord and take a minute or two in prayer and ask yourself what I shared with you earlier. If you had to give an account, not only of yesterday, but of the day before, at the end of this day, and so on, if you had to give a written account how you're spending your time, what you're doing. How would it read? You see it in your imagination, how would it read? The truth of it is this, at the end of your life, you're gonna give a report. And every day you've ever lived, and every hour you've ever spent, you'll give an account. So much so that Jesus almost frightens us when he says, I say unto you, a man shall give an account for every idle word that comes out of his mouth. That's the biggest challenge that I can think of, every idle word. how did you spend your day yesterday Today you're in church service. What about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? What will you be able to put on the ledger? But be sure that in the book of the Revelation, when the first books are open, that's the record of your life. The second book is the book of life. Only God can put your name in. Probably more correctly, he can only take your name out. What are you doing? What are you looking at? What are you doing? The hour's late. Signs are with us. How about we give our hearts, truly our hearts, to serve Christ, all the heart all the soul all the mind all the strength let's pray father we just come before you in jesus mighty name and we just ask you today lord god that you would grant us the grace to understand that every moment that we live does not come back to us moments with our children our family precious moments but even other things so mundane we didn't even notice it but it's gone yesterday is gone last year is gone last 10 20 30 40 50 years are all gone all gone not coming back that we would be able to dedicate ourselves to the gospel of jesus christ individually and corporately oh father we just come before you today having looked at the truth and heard the truth now the question remains father what will we do with the truth father we just ask today as we prayed earlier in a song remove from me all the things that are standing in the way of your love As Richard Baxter said concerning preaching, he said, I preached as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men. Help us to see our lives as a stream that's just going and going and going and those moments are not coming back so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, all the wisdom in your book, all the wisdom of your spirit, but chiefly that we may serve you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind and all of the strength. And concerning the communion of saints that we would love one another today god only you know whose ears are truly hearing whose heart is truly right that they're going to make amendments and alterations and changes in their lifestyle to line up with the doctrine of when he returns that we may all give a good report when you turn the ledgers of the books of our life our personal biographies that the general consensus is that you would be able to say well done well done Thou good and faithful servant, well done. God, only you know whose heart is prepared to give you all. Pour out your grace, pour out your spirit, give us a third great awakening. We have opened the gates for the enemy to come in and rush the city. We, the pulpits of America, have opened the gates for the public school to say, we will teach about abortion. We will demonstrate. We will validate that which you, God, have condemned. Oh, God, help us today. Pour out your spirit. Let us not see ourselves as just a small group. What can we do? Because you've proved throughout history what you could do with a few good men and a few good women. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. By faith, we live. Help us, God, in this hour to be able to say, here am I, Lord, send me. We bless you today, Father. And I pray all these things today in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen.